phone is on silent. Um, phone is also on silent. Amazing. All righty, let's crack. Let's do it. We've. We, I love the. By the way, I'd like to point out we've we've been chatting for a whole hour. Have we, we? And we have not we're started just a couple of little chatterboxes. We you are. Know why? Yeah, we are. Where do we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Look, you said it, not me. So I'll take that off. Um, we are like the funny thing was when we started messaging each other. I will mm. say this before we start. Um. It was automatically like I knew we would get along. Yeah. It was a weird kind of just yeah. like we're both kind of loonies. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> totally. I, got, I got this. Totally. Um, I got this voice <clears throat> message from Lauren with when like half asleep, woken up. And she was just like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And did sort of like a voice in the message. <laughs> and just like, don't, ex- don't mind the groggy voice. Like I'm half asleep. And I'm like, who's like sending me voice chats at like first thing in the morning and, I, and I'm just Good like morning. oh I'm, I'm just like oh that's right yeah my weird ass friends <laughs> but this is the things we do podcast a podcast about film life television culture mental health and all of that fun jazzy stuff today I've got my good friend and special guest Lauren Crimson <laughs> I had to do that Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. <laughs> How are you? I am well, we've we've been chatting for a whole hour, so I'm pretty good. Um, but I am really excited to chat with you because we've got quite a list ahead of us. We've got we a film that you have recently been promoting, like No Tomorrow. And oh I'm, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about that. Which by the way, if you love horror. That is a some spooky shit. It is. It yes. it looks terrifying. But um, you know, John Jarrett. Yes. John like, two words, John Jarrett. Um who, <laughs> who terrified kids in the nineties and like early two thousands with his axe murdering homicide of maniac. And hopefully still in twenty twenty one with this film. You know what the funny thing though about John Jarrett? I walk past him every time I go for a walk. In Glebe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he is yes. Yes, he I is hear a local, this a lot and I'm a just like, and Emily, um, my partner and I, we were walking past him and just going, mm. "Oh, is that John Jarrett?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Does he live nearby?" <laughs> oh yeah, he does. Yeah. And I just think that the one thing is, love all his work, love mm. it, lo- love, um, love everything he's ever done. Yeah. But it's he's one of those people that you'd never feel like you need to run up to and go, "Hey, John!" Like, no, because Mick Taylor is terrifying. <laughs> And has like permanently scarred everyone from our generation, yeah. I feel. So even when I first met John, um, it was us meeting at the airport to fly to Queensland to go straight into hotel quarantine together. And um, <laughs> it was bizarre because I'm like, oh, you're Mick Taylor from Wolf Creek. And so just sitting next to him quietly in the airport, sitting next to him quietly on the plane. I'm like, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> but no, John's great. John is, I mean, John is he, awesome. He he is like everything I've ever watched him in, especially interviews. He is just the most down-to-earth person and he, he loves is. it. He, he loves does. loves what he does. He does. Um, he adores it. And I don't think I've seen any like interviewee as excited about just making a horror character like Mick Taylor as his product. <laughs> like yeah. he was what he was in his 40s when he did that role I think or late 30s he was Yeah, he must have been. Um, yeah, late 30s like, early 40s. Yeah, cuz like um 
you know, if anyone has it, like Wolf Creek, particularly the first movie, is the one that everyone watches. Mm. And that is Australian's horror central. Yes. But, um, yeah, I feel like that's – if you were going to introduce anyone to Australian horror – Wolf Creek is the go-to. <laughs> um, that or uh, I've got a, I've got probably like a couple of others. Um, oh, what's that one where it's like the girl, high school girl, um, and uh, the guy? Uh, it's the romantic date, and he gets like. Oh, are you talking about the loved ones? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, um, I actually haven't seen that, which is bizarre because um, I've seen like pretty much every. Horror film and Australian film under the sun, but for whatever reason, I haven't seen you that. Should, but I knew exactly what you were talking you about. You should yeah. watch that. It yeah. Is actually, really. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think it's also, it goes a little bit into predictable Australian horror, which is there always seems to have to be some living creature underneath the floorboards. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, spo- <laughs> spoiler alert. There's always something in the floorboards, but I, I really think that. Um, that film is is great to watch because it is just bizarre. Like, yeah, right. Um, so it's a bit more of a psychological horror then. Y- yeah, but okay. also with a bit of torture. Right. <laughs> Don't of forget. A like sprinkling you could, of torture. Is it a sprinkling <laughs> of torture? It's not quite torture porn, but it's a sprinkling <laughs> of torture. Um, but everyone who doesn't know you, Lauren, mm-hmm. um, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh-huh. Okay, sure. Um so I am an actor. Um, I'm also crazy about rock climbing, um, and I think those are probably my two most defining points. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is the all right. Just that's a bio. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's me done. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm in love with acting. I'm kind of married to my career. Um, and yeah, love love climbing, love the outdoors, love hiking. Uh, yeah, just loving loving life. You are, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so much love. Um, yeah, because you're you're one of those sort of people who I would, if you initially looked at you, would not think about rock climbing <laughs> at all. It's which I think That's is a fair assumption. I think yeah, because yeah. like um, if you go and type your name into Google, yes. as probably most people <laughs> will do. Um, it does not come with avid rock climber it in the Google. It doesn't, which is strange because it's like one of my defining points. Yeah, so you are an know. avid, <laughs> avid rock climber. You're a hiker. You're so athletic. Oh. You love, um, You, I think, yeah, I describe you as someone who loves to de-stress by doing rock climbing. I do. It's kind of like a, um, a moving meditation for me. I think yeah. because... And that and acting is really the only time where I have complete space from my own mental chatter because in those moments you have to be so present. I mean, obviously with climbing, if you're not, you will fall and hurt yourself. Yeah. So you have to be completely focused on what you're doing, on your next movement, on your breath. And similarly with acting, all of your attention is on your scene partner. And so that's why I think – I'm so drawn to those two things because it's the only time that I really get that relief from just, you know, the constant mental chatter that we all have. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, I, I think that's very true and it's good to have like a different thing that isn't necessarily creative Yeah, as a, as a separate <laughs> thing to, you know, obviously that, cause a lot of people kind of just go, you always have like, you know, 120% all the time. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, like, was then some, where did them both of those start? Because you've, um, must have loved acting since you were a kid or was it kind of a late start for you? Yeah. So it's been kind of like a weird on and off relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So therapy Um, time. Yeah. Therapy time. So I first started acting when I was a kid. When I was very young, I did a commercial with my dad when I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he was working for a real estate company at the time. I'm, um, I'm watching you. Yeah. <laughs> Stay within the mic. <laughs> he was working for a real estate company at the time and they had asked him um, because he's very uh, charismatic and yeah. um, confident and enigmatic and um, they had asked him, do you want to be on the commercial? And dad was like, yeah, sure. Can my daughter be in it too? And so I didn't really have a say in it. So my dad was doing this thing and he's like, you're coming to work with me today. We're doing this thing. You say this and whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I didn't really know what was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the commercial and I just remember crying a lot and complaining and saying, I don't really? want to do it. What are we doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so it was kind of like weird incidences like that for yeah. many years so I kind of had that initial foray into it wasn't super interested then did a little bit I think in primary school you know you're forced to do like the yeah. school plays and things like that and then again in high school I took it as a subject in year 10 um, and I really loved it and then when we went to do our school certificate we had to perform a monologue and for whatever reason I was given um, a Chekhov monologue from Uncle Vanya, which no 15, 16 year old knows how to do. Like Chekhov is incredibly hard. Um, I just so love I- <laughs> that. I- <laughs> so I was given this monologue. Yeah. And went to perform it for my school certificate, got stage fright, forgot all my lines. It was terrifying. I'd never had stage fright before. Couldn't speak. So they, my drama teacher, bless her soul, she was like, it's okay, I want you to do well in this. We're going to move the whole thing to a different room in the school. And I was like, miss, I don't think that's going to help. I think the problem is with me. Um, so we did. So we, she got the whole class. We moved to a different location. And I got up on stage to perform it and I couldn't do it. And I was just, from then on, I was like, acting is not my thing. I'm never wow. doing this again. And didn't touch it for years until my partner at the time um, who – is a super creative person. He's primarily a visual artist, but kind of dabbles in like music and acting yeah, and all yeah, sorts yeah. of things. Um, he saw that there was like a local production of the Elephant Man holding auditions and he wanted to audition. And he said, will you come along and support me? And I said, yeah, of course. So I went along and they were um, holding open auditions for the lead female role as well. And they came up to me and said, oh, are you here to audition? And I was like, no, 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 I'm just here to support my partner. And they were like, oh, we don't have enough women auditioning. Do you want to just do it? It's like a, it's a cold read. So you've got the script. You don't need to know anything. And my partner was like, just do it. You're here. Just go for it. And it was so hilarious, Marty, because right before me, so it was kind of like um, everyone got to watch everyone audition. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, super bizarre scenario. Anyway, um, so this lady went ahead of me um, And I obviously didn't know her Um, and she performed the scene in this really thick German accent and I wasn't familiar with the play at all and I hadn't seen the film so I was like, oh, it must be supposed to be performed in a – it's a German character. Yeah. And so they said, do you want to go next? And I was like, oh, I 
I'm going to have to sit here and listen to a few more people do this accent first. And thank God I didn't go next because it wasn't a German accent at all. The lady was just a German lady. So I nearly got up and performed in like my own <laughs> terrible version of, and it would have just looked so bizarre. And they would have been like, why are you doing this in your non-native accent? And you're doing a bad job at it. So thank God someone else went in between. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I can just perform it in my normal accent. Um, and anyway, did the audition and then I got the role. And so I was like, well, what do I do? I haven't acted since year 10 and I got stage fright. Um, and my partner got the lead role and he's like, let's just do it for fun. And the minute I stepped out onto that stage for opening night, there was just a fire in my belly that was like, this mm. is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to do. Um, and I want to do this forever. Yeah. And so I knew from then that this is like a lifelong thing for me. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. That's like the most unusual way. To- <laughs> <laughs> it's not very stra- straightforward, but I love I love the fact that you almost did a German performance. I almost. Know. How mortifying. I would have looked like the biggest jerk just going up and doing like, oh my goodness. Um, but that's like, that's incredible that, you know, just going away because, you know, high school acting is terrifying. Terrifying. It's, um... Uh, I've got a very similar experience, actually. Oh, I, really? Th- yeah. So I, when in high school, I, the acting was always something I wanted to do ever since I was a kid mm. as well. And we had this challenge in year, I think it was a year 11 or year 12. Yeah. And was to everyone to write a monologue. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, <clears throat> year 11, year 12 <laughs> writing is not fab. Mm. You realize how many plot holes you actually have. <laughs> and um, I did my monologue and... I was like perfectly fine. I didn't have stage fright at the time. And this one kid in the corner absolutely ripped every element of my script apart. Like oh, every element. Like no way. Um, in terms of how I performed it, how I wrote it, like, e- you know, every element under the sun. And mm. to the point where the teacher was like, look, you can, you can stop now. Like, please. That is awful. Like, don't keep going. Mm. And so I completely got stage fright fright and and lost a lot of confidence to stand in front of um in front of everyone but i do credit now to having so probably like the last couple of years i've had so many friends who do acting and um and yeah they've just been like oh yeah no you're kind of do performances you like you know doing performances and they just encourage me to do things in front of camera and just um i recently acted in a friend's short film which um i forgot how good like improvisation and stuff was as well um And, yeah, it's just kind of the thing that I will tell younger people as well is don't stress about it being perfect Mm. because most of the time the best things are the imperfections. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's a very, like, it's a juggling act because I think that's why I I love still making stuff and I love, like, taking photos and stuff. It's just Mm. this kind of, like, bizarre world you live in in your head. Um, And I've written stuff as well. Like, I've written short films and stuff. But one of the things is, like, doesn't matter how long you take to do something, just make something. Like just be creative because, yeah, there's a different side to acting and there's a different side to becoming and everyone has their own method. No one's method is 100% the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, like do you you find that now more so as well with your acting? Like do you find because you've done um, so many different pieces and and especially with like the film that's about to come out, do you find that you've learned – 
periodically off other people or been intimidated by other people? Or do you find that you've just kind of like gotten to a point where you're like, no, they're just another human and I can just move past it? Yeah, I think um, initially I do get intimidated um, if I know that I'm cast alongside someone that I've grown up watching or that I really look up to. Uh, So, for example, knowing that I was cast alongside John Jarrett and Lincoln Lewis Mm. initially was super intimidating because I was like, these are Australian acting icons. Lincoln Lewis is Australia's home and away darling. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves him. John is just this enigma in the acting world and then it's gonna be me like are you sure like are you are you 100 sure but i think um i think so i have that initial reaction and then i'm able to kind of ground myself in yeah. regardless of who's there i'm doing what i love and i am i do so much prep work so much prep work so that my default is always prepared, if yeah. that makes sense. So even if my I, if I do have nerves when I have to work alongside someone that I really look up to, for example, uh, my brain will always kind of default to the minimum amount of preparation, yeah. which is still a lot. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really useful. Uh, but I think it's just that initial thing of you know when you see the names in text and it seems really daunting but then you meet them and yeah um and they're really wonderful i recently worked with um roger corsa um on an alex proyas film and roger plays my husband in the film and um that was you know hearing that i was cast alongside roger was enormously daunting for me i mean like who doesn't know roger from doctor doctor and um he's so great and super charming and everything but yeah when you when you meet them you realize it's just like, oh, you're here because you love this thing too. Yeah. Um, and we're here to do this job together in the best way we can. It's And it does it make it feel much more grounded? Like you're not in this sort of like you're not admiring them, obviously, as a as someone you've seen on TV. You're kind of within their space. So you're completely immersed <laughs> in their world. Yeah, totally. I think it's like um, just the – at the risk of sounding kind of stupid or wanky or whatever, <laughs> um, I just feel so honoured to be able to essentially play with these people who yeah. are like masters of their craft. And so I just see that as a really cool, humbling learning experience and I can sit grounded in that, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's a, that, I love that because that's mm-hmm. something that I don't think – a lot of like I don't get bewildered by celebrities anymore. Like people go, "Oh, have you met <laughs> this person?" I'm like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Oh, what, what are they like?" And you go, "Like everyone else, they go home, they yeah. have a family." Like, yeah, that's um, so true. And yeah, it's it's entirely the thing. I think that I remember like when I started working for TV, and I had all these breakfast hosts that Australia nationwide know, yeah. like um. Yeah, David Campbell from the morning show now today extra was like walking down the back lot and he just, he knows my name and he just goes, Oh, morning, Martin. I'm just like, <laughs> for a second, I was just like, huh? Yeah. Like, how do you like, but yeah, they all do. They'll just say hi to you. They, you know, like, uh, you know, a lot of the time hosts, 
are a little bit egotistical, but the ones who are very down to earth mm. are the nicest people in the world. Because mm. like, um, especially like I'll um, give DC a huge shout out because he's, he is a very, like I've even had selfies with him. Yeah. Like he, I was wearing a Spider-Man hoodie <laughs> to work and his kids are massive fans oh, of nerdy culture. Cute. And so is he. And yeah. he was just like, hey, mate, can I just – like, <laughs> He's I like, like, I want to get this selfie yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, I feel like a celebrity <laughs> now. Like, It's just – yeah, it's bizarre. But I think when you work with people on such a regular basis, you do lose the sense of like them being on the top tier. Mm. And they are just of the same, you know, with you. And I mm. think at the end of the day, we all have our own lives. Yeah. Um, and when you go to the cinema – and you watch like um you watch movies or you watch anything you forget that yeah, you completely totally. forget um who they are as people yeah um but yeah like I mean with the, with making films though and especially making you know horror films mm. which if anyone doesn't know <laughs> I love horror <laughs> are you a big horror fan I'm a huge horror fan like are you a more okay so there's like you know how there's categories with horror yes are you a psychological horror you a gore horror or you were like torture porn horror fan give me a little from all the columns please <laughs> <laughs> i i love them all i them all. i've got so many films i need to recommend you if you haven't seen please. them yet um and currently i think i just recently watched vivarium with my partner and she absolutely Absolutely hated it. Right. Um, in the way that it got under her skin, kind of okay. hated it. It was good hate. I actually don't know this film. Tell you me. should you should watch it. It's Jesse Eisenberg and okay. Imogen Poots. Right. And is they, it a recent film? It's about twenty twenty. Okay. Sort of like came out right. sort of early twenty twenty. And I absolutely recommend it for anyone because it's a psychological slow burn. Oh and cool. um one of my other favorite films, John Cusack, um, Fourteen oh eight, Stephen okay, King. Yes, I know that. Yeah, that I film is great. It is. It is an hour and a half of John Cusack <laughs> just screaming in a room, like "Give it to me." Um, but I didn't know that film until recently, and I literally watched it the other week, and it's now one of my top films. It's an incredible film. It's yeah. but it's mostly saved. It's a short story. It's mm. um something like I think a twenty page short story or a thirty page short story in Stephen King's. One oh, of his really? Collections. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, so right. it's not – and it ends completely differently how to the movie ends. Interesting. Um, but I do love the fact that, that there's no explanation. There's mm. none. Yeah. And I, I love horror films that don't try and explain what happens yeah. and why. Yeah, they just kind of serve it to you on a platter and they're like, accept this. Yeah, it's <laughs> like if you don't, you just kind of go, yeah. Why do I need to ask questions when I've just gone, there are about five people who I've never met and just came in and disappeared and I have no idea who the <laughs> fuck they were. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, and yeah, no, um, 1408 has that. It has like three ghosts yeah. that you'd never, never know who are. Um, <laughs> and they're not even part of the, f I think, 56 or something or 57 people have yeah. died in the room. Yeah. Um, and you just go, okay. Like, yeah. What horror does this room actually have? But it's great. But yeah, when... The, when you made The Possessed, mm -hmm. um, which is it come out next year officially? No, it's so it's um, the premiere was on Saturday night, just yes. passed, so on Halloween. Um, and it's been released in select cinemas from the start of November. So, yeah, so it's technically out now. It'll go to video on demand, I think, from the first of December. I am sure. I am either gonna find it in a cinema or I'm gonna <laughs> definitely watch it on TV because I'm really looking forward to oh, it. Thanks. I love possession films. Yeah, me too. Um, 
and it, it, where did it like for you uh, like did this kind of appear through your agency or did you know actively search it out there's a bit of a long story <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> Um, but I will give you the abridged version. It's a really interesting story, actually. It's very um, serendipitous. Okay. So I had heard of Chris Sun, uh, who's the director of The Possessed, um, mm. uh, years ago when I was kind of pretty new to the industry. And I think at that time he was doing uh, his film Four, or perhaps it was Charlie's Farm. Not oh so yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. Um, this was like some years ago. Um, and anyway, I'd heard of Chris, and I love horror, and I just his attitude and approach is just infectious. Like I don't know if you've seen any interviews with him or seen him speak about making films, but it is just something you want to be a part of. Like this is just a guy who loves what he does. He loves horror, and he has this really kick-ass punk attitude towards it like I'm gonna make this film I don't care what people think I'm doing it because I love it and he just makes it happen um anyway so I really dig that so I had wanted to work with Chris for so long and Mm. I had reached out to him and I I was too green at the time understandably and he you know was really lovely um but nothing sort of came of that and I just continued to support him over the years by you know liking the, liking his posts um, and mm. sharing things um, and showing my support and watching his films. And then one day I was in the Blue Mountains where I grew up um, with my partner at the time. We were at a place called Lincoln's Rock, which is a very random lookout in yeah. the mountains. Um, it's not super touristy. It's not like the Three Sisters in Katoomba no, or anything like that. But, but it's it, a nice lookout. It's a nice. You've been. Yeah. Ah. Right. I've. I've <laughs> you don't need to explain Lincoln Rock. <laughs> I've been everywhere in the mountains. I love the mountains. Oh, oh. I love that. Um, I'm a little like my favorite thing to do for my birthday is always go to the mountains. It's oh, like oh, beautiful. It's the best. It is the best. Anyway, so we were at Lincoln's Rock, mm-hmm. middle of nowhere really yeah um and i was sitting on the edge because i like heights and i'm a maniac and (laughs) i hear someone a random person call out i can't remember exactly what it was it was something like um like get off the edge or how how far is the drop you maniac and i turn around Mm -hmm. and it's chris son but because i have terrible eyesight i was like i think it's him I'm not 100% sure. So I turn around, we clock each other, and we can, I can tell he's sort of like taken aback. Like, is that this person who's yeah. been working on my like Facebook post for years and like being like stalking, stalking me? Um, and I was sort of really taken aback too. And so he sort of went off, and then I saw he was with a film crew, and I was like, oh, well, of course it's him. He's yeah. with a film crew. So I went over to my partner and I was like, that's Chris Sun, this director that I've wanted to work with for years. I'm going to really regret it if I don't go and at least say hello. Yeah. So I waited until they had obviously stopped doing what they were doing. I think they were filming a documentary series at the time. Um, So I waited until uh, they'd finished that setup and I went over to introduce myself and I said, Chris. And he said, Lauren. And I was like, what the hell are you doing here? And he said, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, I live here. What? Because Chris is from Queensland. Wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's not, he's not locally born and bred. No. And I said, I'm, yeah, I live here. And he said, I'm shooting a documentary series here. And he said, this is very weird. I feel like this is a sign from the universe. 
I'll be in touch down the track. You know, I, I really feel like this is very serendipitous. And yeah. so we kind of went away from that. Um, and maybe a year later, he hit me up and said, I'm making this film. Do you want to audition? I know that you're really into horror. Read the audition scenes. If it's up your alley, great. Send the tapes through. Yeah. If not, that's cool. And he, you know, reached out to a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Um, so I read the script loved it um and auditioned and pretty much straight away he was like this you are this character this is this is it we're meant to meant to work together so then it was kind of all yeah so it was a really weird series of events um but i did still have to go through the usual audition process um yeah just felt like it was really meant to be from the start that's awesome like Mm. isn't that It makes me think that there's no straightforward way in this this world. Like so in true. and um like I think that it is so amazing and, and but also just, you know, fantastic in a way because, you know, that that's what I say to people all the time, support each other. Exactly. Because it really yeah. it really gets you opportunities and it gets you uh noticed. It just gets a broad spectrum of people noticing you and noticing your work. And, I, I you know, like I'm absolutely like um, proud of the fact that you did The Possessed, you know. And oh, thanks. I, and like I think the thing that I think I adore about you is just, and we haven't known each other very long. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a little over like a couple of months now. Um, but I think the one thing that I kind of just go, you are such a positive energy wow. and a positive person. But you're so like, I think the thing that, you know, you know credit where's credits to you you are one of those people who supports people that you believe in Mm. and you are very much like if i believe in you and i believe in who you are as a person as Mm. well as what you are capable of Mm. you're all about that and you're all about like look at the things that my friends and and um family can do and and everything and i definitely don't get the sense of like you know me 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 like (laughs) you're you're such a giver like and thanks marty um do you do you think that's true about yourself I I feel like there are two parts to this. Oh, yeah. Uh, one is I just really dig when people do cool shit. I just I love people who are ambitious, tenacious, have like a kick-ass attitude of just like yeah. I'm doing this thing and I don't care. I'm just doing it. Um, it's just infectious and I want that. So I love being around it. Um, and then there's the other part of it, which is just like, Oh, I'm just like so proud of my friends. I want to brag about them because they're so cool. I think that's like, yeah, that's that's the two things. Um, I just think that people need to have a lot of different things that they love to do. Yes. Um, like, like you, you do so many different things. I. Which is super cool. I. What? I'm a work. I feel like I'm a workaholic. Oh, you are. Yeah, you absolutely are. Um, cause I was telling Lauren once that I was like, Oh, I'm just thinking about starting a new podcast. And Lauren's like, but you already run one. Like what the fuck? When do you sleep party? <laughs> um, but I don't like, I think one of the things that I absolutely adore about doing, and you know, like I've written, I've written, like I've got in a drawer in my room, which I should show you. Mm. Um, I've got a script that I wrote with a friend. Yeah. Like we conceived it, everything. It's a horror short. Oh, cool! And it's so good. And we were like, we basically were very primed to film it. And then it was kind of like, one of the things was I was I was very green in terms of my own knowledge of things. Yeah. 
I think in terms of what I could actually achieve. So it was like one of those things that I'm kind of glad COVID happened because it made me realize how green I was in like 2018, 2019 to now where it's like, oh, I actually can do all this mad stuff. It's just kind of know the right people and, you know, and do the right things. But I definitely think that this sort of like idea has been sitting on a, on a shelf and definitely in my friend's um, story and life, she, she is now works, um, in her own, and runs her own business, but mm-hmm. she is just an incredible person. And um, if anyone wants to look at her, um, her name is Felicity Keep, and she wrote this script a- as an outline. And we just from like early 2018 worked mm. on it into like end of 2019, oh, wow. and it came up to like draft 15, 16 or something. Whoa. And we had this solid, solid like 30 minute script, which was entirely a bizarre psychological horror slash gore fest, and awesome. it was great. But it was just so. <laughs> It was a social commentary. And I think the thing which everyone loved was they were like, limit how many characters. Because I pitched this as a series. Like I initially pitched this as a series and I'd love to just make this particular one because I love the story so much. But, it, um, yeah, it was like a short series, anthology series. Every episode was different. But yeah. the idea was keep everything kind of close to a room or close to like not going outside of your space okay. and cool. limiting how many characters you had. Right. And she had three characters that were all so bizarre yeah and it was just like all oh, right these are all batshit insane people <laughs> um and yeah it's a great script we did audition we did the entire thing so we basically like casted it um it all and then sort of like yeah just covid happened and sort of like um you know just right. a whole bunch of like personal stuff happened to me in my life mm. and i think yeah it's one of those scripts that i know everyone who was involved yeah would happily just go yep do that again like in five years ten years like there um they've you know just the most supportive people in terms of like it is that infectious you you love what you do so keep doing that and don't stop totally and um and i say this to anyone who's creative creating is hard work it is it is so hard it's relentless Um, and especially independent stuff Mm. um because a lot of the time people realize that it's either grants given Mm. or your own self-funding yeah and when it's self-funded you obviously have to cut corners when you need to because yeah. you cannot logistically <laughs> afford what a, like the you know mainstream um, stuff can afford. Mm. So rates kind of differ. Everyone makes different agreements. Yeah. But I definitely think the one thing is when you find a family mm. of people who are willing to kind of do this, you know, jigsaw puzzle of a, you know, whatever yeah. together, you get a great result. You get this. Yeah. Um, you don't get this patchwork monster where everyone hates each other. You get this thing which, like, oh, that was really enjoyable, and yeah. and people were passionate about it, and mm. and might not have been the most expensive budget, but yeah. it was like, you know, I've seen short films made on like, you know, five thousand or mm. five thousand dollars or anything mm. like that. I've seen films made on no money. Like yeah. I've seen, you know, you know, people drive out to the middle of nowhere, shoot mm. something, and go, yep, yeah, that was great. Yeah, and it's. This is what filmmaking is. It is. It is a learning experience for everyone mm. because every time you make a film and, you know, I think that, you know, the people pretend there's sort of like this high glory bullshit, mm. but you are always constantly a kid at heart yes. to make these things because you are making it for your inner child to watch as, totally. you know, as Chris would say, yeah. because it doesn't matter who watches it. As long as your inner child's happy, as narcissistic as that sounds, <laughs> it's kind of a exciting yeah. thing to go 
oh shit, I made that. Like, yeah, it is. In bizarre world, I've made something You've that made a living, breathing thing that's going to exist. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's and, really special. Um, did that kind of like because with the, with the possessed, like, mm. was that a that was an independent like um, indie film? So like, mm. um, it's you know obviously a limited run and everything like that. But mm. it was it was it kind of like how long was the shoot? Was it like a, a limited run to how many days you were shooting as well? Um, so we shot. Oh gosh, testing my memory now, which is <laughs> terrible. Um, I always say that I feel like. In order to adapt to learn lines, my memory has ju- yeah. is just terrible in every other way. So I can remember lines, but I just can't remember anything else. Um, <laughs> so going back to October, <laughs> November last year, yeah. I, I think it was about – it was a pretty short shoot, relatively speaking, for the amount of shots we had to get and for yeah. the scope of the film. It's a large world. There are – lots of different characters there are lots of different uh locations and sets yeah um lots of moving parts but i think it was about maybe like seven weeks six seven weeks okay which should have been no i think it was about yeah six weeks and it should have been about eight ah so it was yeah it was um everyone working together really hard to to kind of get the job done mm. um to to the best standard that we could but as quickly as we could as well yeah i mean like that <sighs> limited, limited shooting time also puts a lot of stress on um like did that make you feel like you had to be on your a game every day yeah and not not that necessarily i think just like the complete like again risk of sounding like a wanker um <laughs> the, the like the total privilege of just you know working alongside like working for chris and working alongside like the crew was phenomenal yeah. too and the rest of the cast um that was my own pressure of being like i need to rise to the standard of these people and yeah. show them that they made the right choice in casting me so i guess that's where the pressure came from for me which is you know great and yeah and totally. like yeah it's just it's just very much juggling um, did you, I get you, you, you know, because you're a horror fan as well, is being in a horror film that scary? <laughs> cause, cause you, do you sit there just going, oh yeah, that was, that was makeup right there. That was, that was fake blood. Yeah. I know that, what that tasted like. Yeah. I've done a few now and I can say that a lot of it, you know, like, as you would know, with filmmaking is yeah. just sitting around waiting for things to happen. Um, <laughs> but there are some times, um, and they're kind of infrequent, but they have happened um, on The Possessed where, for example, um, uh, the practical effects were so good or the makeup was so good. I was like, oh, this is actually quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, or in a film I did called Water Horse, um there was one there's one particular scene where the set is just dressed so incredibly um and it is really really spooky and i did feel scared in that moment so there are like some times where i'm like oh yeah this is objectively a scary situation um but most of the time i'm just focusing on not stuffing up (laughs) so my next question is 
do you believe in the scary stuff? Do you be- are you a believer in ghosts and ghouls and all that stuff? I feel like this is like kind of my go-to line, but I feel <laughs> like the universe is so magical, right? Yeah. If you think about it, like we're floating on a blue ball in space kept alive by a ball of fire. Like I think it's kind of naive to assume that we know everything and I think that there are things beyond our scope of understanding and beyond our senses that we will never know um so I don't know (laughs) but I I I'm confident in the fact that I don't know yeah so I think I'm definitely open to that possibility what about you I am I've always believed in ghouls and ghosts. I got a bit skeptical when I was older. Yeah. But I've had enough things to kind of just made me go, oh. that's a bit strange. <laughs> um, and I've lived in places where I've I've got uneasy senses. Like yeah. I've I walked into rooms where yeah. I'm like, no, nah, this room's weird. It's yeah. something. Um, and I've been on enough ghost tours. I've got a, oh, I am. Love s- ghost tours. Oh, how good are they? <laughs> but I'm, I'm such a morbidly curious person. Like mm. one of my um, absolute top favorite podcasts is, um, uh, actually I've got two. Um, the Shit That Scares Us um, and uh, Morbid, A True Crime Podcast. And both okay. of those are really fun. Like if you want to listen to. Um, some really awesome um, podcasts. Those two are great in terms of horror listening. But yeah, it's it's like I've heard fantasy and I've heard like, dark. and I as a kid used to hate horror. Yeah, I used right. to find it so spooky and yeah. scary, and I was like, no, nah, I can't deal with it. And now I watch like videos on how people die in films oh my and the God. practical effects of how they die. Yeah, and I'm just like sitting there, just going, oh yeah, they got their eye impaled. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like you sit there, just going. Like I have a book on um, uh, Helter Skelter right. and the whole like um, yes. mysteries behind that mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of horror stories mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I just think that true crime and horror stuff and when people talked mm-hmm. about possession and, you know, and whether or not it actually happens, mm-hmm. until I see it, I just don't know. Yeah. I do not know, yeah. but I have enough inklings to go, these people do sound really really sick or like their behavior changes suddenly erratically Mm. overnight yes um there'd be enough historical accounts of people doing 180s and completely Mm. never being the same person again yeah and suddenly just being really horrible or or really twisted or speaking in you know to themselves in rooms and you know whether or not it's a sign of mental illness it actually scares the shit out of me because it's just like if you saw that Mm. you'd be like no fuck this (laughs) I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, so on this, actually, mm-hmm. so The Possessed is based on a true story yes. about a guy who is an accidental exorcist. Um, and so I've I've met him. Um, he is a really fascinating man called Mark, um, Mark Gardner. And, um, yeah, just a really, really interesting human with a lot of fascinating stories about these exorcisms he performs for for free um, because he has this gift. So it was really interesting hearing his stories. And um, I think as an actor too, it's so much about empathy and being open-minded. So I knew that going into it, I was like, I have to be open to this. I don't necessarily have to agree with anything or believe in anything um, hard and fast, but I have to be open to it. And I think from that place of curiosity, that's a, that's a really good place to work from 
just being in the world, like being curious about everything, yeah. being open to other people's experiences. Because, and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. And I think, um, like, I, I just don't know in terms of once people die and, you know, like, yeah. I think um, one of the things that spooked me as young mm. is anyone who lives in Sydney, like on like up Park, mm. that park um, – it's huge. It's right next to the school. So Sydney Secondary College, you've got um, like a high school. Okay. And then behind it, you've got the, the main state park or whatever. I can't I'm remember. I'm pretending that I know it, but I don't know it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you picture it in a mile, it's like a squarish park. Okay. Um, like a little bit rectangular shape. Um, but it has people buried under it. Oh, really? And the tombstones yeah. are moved somewhere else. Oh, no way. So... For years, mm. like there's just been dead people underneath that park because that is wild. How did this happen? Well, because when you have bodies, it's mm. actually harder to move the coffins and stuff. Right. So a lot of the time, when people die, they just move the stones. Really, yes. I didn't know this. This That's is outrageous because it's expensive. It it's, would be. It's time. It's effort. Yeah. It's easier to move the stones. So a lot of the time. This is why unmarked graves or the people go, oh, yeah, my actual family member is buried that somewhere is else and crazy. this is just the grave. Yeah. Grave and I mean, made. no one's checking it. No. Like, <laughs> and you're not, can you? Um, but I do, I do think it's interesting because, yeah, there's a lot of people buried around Sydney that we will be walking on. That is and fascinating. We'd never know. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like the thing they discovered about the Sydney trams. Like there was Aboriginal bones. Really? Underneath the tram tracks, oh, like no from years and years and years and years ago. But yeah, yeah there was right. like bones and stuff. And they, the when they were building the city tram, they all went, "Oh, this is delaying. We've got to ex- excavate this. We've got to check this out." So yeah, there was like a oh news article and everything. So it delayed it, I think, for another couple of months wow, to work that I didn't out. Know that that's wild. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of bones around. <laughs> Sydney. So it's a skeletal place. Like um if you've ever gone to Sydney, it's it's very mundane. <laughs> but um I do like I do like that idea of yeah, um possession and, and weird mm. um weird spooky stuff. Interesting. Like, um yeah, I've always been interested in psychological like mm. um history and and, and just serial killers. <laughs> very grim, but just serial killers. I love that you whispered that and you're like serial. Do you do you like do you find serial killers fascinating? I find yes, psychopathy really yes. interesting. Like um the whole nature versus nurture thing. Yeah. Um you know what happened to this person or is there some kind of neurological wiring that isn't um quote unquote normal um <laughs> I know yeah. Uh I hate using that word but you know what I mean. I know, um, I know, 100% what you mean. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But about I mean, you? I, well, I, I love, like, <laughs> I just, I, I probably obsess a little bit too much about certain serial killers. Not that, like, in the terms of, like, I write books. About, <laughs> but I definitely, like, there's ones out there I'm like, oh, I've researched a lot on that, them. Mm. Like, um, and I think the the one that reminds me, me of kind of like you know movies like Seven and yeah. um, and probably Saw, which mm-hmm. is a prime example of James, um, James Wan's, and um, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Um, 
Lee Winnell. Mm-hmm. Um, their film in particular reminded me a lot of this guy, and he's called H.H. H. Holmes, and he basically made the oh, Chicago Hotel. Yes, and, I do know. Yeah, yes. and he made all these rooms that went to nowhere. He, so they're making a film. Like um, a, no, no, I wish they'd make a film on him. No, no they're, they're making oh, a film what? on him, and Leonardo DiCaprio is playing him. Yes, I read this. A Sorry, while I need ago. to process this. This is like <laughs> the best news I've heard. I read heard this. Of. I just got. I mean, I don't know. My sources might not be accurate, but but, but this I read better this happen. And I was like, this is awesome because there needs to be a film made about this because it's fascinating. Yeah, and terrifying. Um, yeah. I just love the fact that he got um he got bodies like he basically gave them to medical schools like it's crazy yeah and they never questioned it but I feel like back then there are a lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff I just I just love the idea of like all these skeletal bodies mm. appearing at schools though and just no one no questioning one asks. yeah it's like, like oh cool this is yeah and like, thanks. Where's this guy getting all his cadavers yes. from? <laughs> is he robbing graves? <laughs> no one's going. There's like 200 people dead just all of a sudden who just ask. haven't turned. Just don't ask. <laughs> so I, um, I heard something interesting about this um, the other week. I think it was on a podcast actually um, about this very thing. And mm-hmm. it was that if people died in battle like in a in a fight of some kind yeah um you could use the bodies for medical purposes and it was never questioned wow so maybe they just thought that <laughs> he was <laughs> a very proficient did you read swordsman this or where did you read this know. article i heard it on a podcast oh okay sorry um can't remember which one because <laughs> short-term memory issues <laughs> but i don't know maybe that was h.h H. holmes alibi I, I <laughs> who knows? Who the fuck knows? Really? Yeah. I'm just hey. making stuff up. Making I up love numbers. it. I love it so much. Um, I'm gonna. So it's, Jesus, it was a very dark topic. It is. We went real dark. <laughs> we went from horror films to that. No, we I'm did. Just, we <laughs> we took it there. We took it there. But I like how we've we've just trajectory wise taken this in very interesting. Yeah, and, and we'll take it to other places. Yeah, we. <laughs> Which the place we're going to take it to you um, next is um, I want to talk more about you. Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit about something that you talked to me. Um, we've talked a bit <laughs> about off camera um, and we talked about before we started chatting about yeah. on mic. Um, but, yeah, you sort of like – so you're – are we allowed to say entirely that you're – like this, or are you meant to give up? There? <laughs> like this. this? I don't know because you haven't given me. Yeah, actually, of, like, yeah, of course. Like so, yeah. you're you just you recently sort of like came to terms, I guess, with your sexuality and everything. Yeah, so I identify as a bisexual mm. woman, um, and this is something that Marty and I have been kind of talking about a lot, um, and it's been really great because I don't have any other bisexual friends I have a lot of um gay friends queer friends but no other bisexual friends um so it's been really special to be able to kind of talk to you about that and feel validated and seen um in that experience I guess yeah yeah because it's it's I think you know with the experience of being bi um is very unique because It's you don't really necessarily have a coming out mm. moment That's where true. it's like you don't go to your parents mm. and go, 
I'm bi. <laughs> like there's not that's like essentially feeling like you'd go, I'm straight. Yeah. Yeah, well done, it, room. Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does feel a little bit um it does yeah, it does feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I've never felt compelled to come out. Um, yeah. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's because I am repressed in myself, which is something I'm working on, um, you know, and that's due to all sorts of conditioning and all those sorts of Isn't fun it? things that society provides for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, that's that's probably the reason as well. Yeah. But I also feel like um, uh, as a woman in the industry um, who's also who also presents as femme, mm. I feel that my bisexuality can be fetishized. Yeah, as well. Um, and I've had a lot of experiences where that has happened. So. Uh, people will assume that because I'm bi, I'm just attracted to everyone I see. And that's, I mean, that may be the experience for other people yeah. and that's totally okay, totally okay. But that's not my experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm attracted to specific people that I find attractive um, and that's not everyone. Anyway, <laughs> um, where was I going with this? I just, I, I, I love that though just because that is so... That is so true. When you're when you come out as bi, mm. automatically people think, and especially people who were, I don't know if you had this, but I definitely had this. Where yeah. it was like, a couple of my gay friends love them bits, but they were like, "Oh, we're happy to help you explore if you like." <laughs> Just because I told you I was bi, and yeah. it doesn't mean necessarily I mm. want to sleep with you or yes. explore this with you yeah. there there is a there is an assumption yeah um did you get that a little bit with as as well yeah totally so i i've had experiences where people who um through no fault of their own no ill intention just you know maybe a little bit misguided with it um have wanted to have you know, a threesome with their partner and have come to me and said, you know, do you want to have a threesome with us? And I've said, why? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, because you're bi. And I'm like, and? That, <laughs> that is my- doesn't mean that I – so I, I struggle a lot with, um, yeah, the fetishization of my sexuality. And yeah. I think that's part of why I – naturally repress it and suppress it and I don't want to but I think that's my way of preserving myself yeah yeah I th I absolutely agree with that and I think um you know someone who's never been that interested in threesomes ever <laughs> um it's yeah just I think yeah automatically when you buy and everything you don't think of as a threesome as something you go to but um yeah i do know yeah there's a lot of experiences that i remember and there, i think with when you come out a lot of people think it's fair game mm. like everyone assumes that it's like oh you know like when you go out with friends and they're like oh you're bi so i can kiss you right and it's like i'm still a person <laughs> like no <laughs> like where yeah. it's just like and i think yeah. Um, 
it definitely happens. Like I know um, before I came out and before I kind of acknowledged it, I did, I did have like flirtatious stuff with guys, mm. and they were like, oh, mm. oh, but you know, like, do you want to? Go back, and I was like, no. <laughs> but, there, yeah, there was a lot. Or, like, you know, if I was generally interested in someone, it was kind of a bit cut short because, yeah. um, you know, of the, all the stigma around it and the social totally pressure to be, like, not, you know, you're either gay or straight, you know, you couldn't be bi. And, yes, um, absolutely. And, and I think there is a little bit of uh, – this is, I think, more happens with, like, in the male community, but there is a little bit of like tainted soil kind of thing where it's like if you are bi, you've mm-hmm. kind of slept with women, so therefore you have automatically been like, mm, I only want someone who's only ever slept with guys. And I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, what? Right. And okay. that's a thing. Like, it, I didn't know that was yeah, a thing. It right. is a thing. Wow. Um, and I think, like, yeah, because some guys have worked out they're gay mm. from the moment they were like, yeah. 12 and yeah. just only ever slept with men. Yeah. But, yeah, there are some gay guys who've obviously, you know, slept with women as well and mm. uh, realised later on. Of course. And, yeah, it's it's very much you kind of get to this point where it's like it really doesn't matter who yeah. you've slept with. Yeah, <laughs> it the should, past is um, the past. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, there's a, like, as we were saying before, like, off mic, it, it, there's kind of ticking boxes of mm. you just have to be um, a certain something or a certain thing totally. and it's the same with being biased like mm. have you slept with both both sexes have you slept yeah. with everyone and if you haven't then you're not truly bi yeah uh. one of my friends um said something to me that was really special and really validating in my experience mm. and has really helped me a lot um because at the moment um i'm in a heterosexual appearing relationship so i'm in a relationship um with a um cisgender male mm-hmm. um who's heterosexual um and she said to me and I, I i said to her that i feel almost like um i identify as bi but i'm in this heterosexual appearing relationship yeah. and i feel like people don't take that seriously and she said um bi people in heterosexual appearing relationships are still bi Mm. and that's valid. And I was like, that's so simple and so obvious, but it made a big difference to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that sounds. No, I love that. That's that's exactly the same thing that's happened to me. Mm. I think, um, yeah, I've been very fortunate in in the same thing of just like being in this, um, uh, you know, like, um, you know, with my partner, she is uh, cisgendered and it's sort of very, very for me, being like someone who like flows through gender fluid and um, someone who's bi, she is very, she's um, straight and she's um, demisexual, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of even then she's like, I don't really have an over fascination for, you know, women. I'm not you know, I'm demisexual, only mm. attracted to people who I actually have an emotional connection with. Mm. And I think in terms of that as well, it's just the other side of um of it for me where people just go and and they sort of see me and be flamboyant and stuff. And then like um and I used to get this a lot even before mm. um um with with my current partner. And we used to get this thing where people would be like, Oh, you've just kinda got the the 
the girlfriend or the wife kind of right. situation because you're not you're just confused oh. and it was a whole bunch of things where it's like you couldn't be in a heterosexual relationship mm. um appearance wise because you know you couldn't be this because you were of a certain stereotype or yep. you were of a certain kind of person so super, therefore it's like yeah. so progressive <laughs> super invalidating right yeah. yeah um so i definitely love the whole idea because i've I definitely know in my dating life, I've majoritively dated women, mm. but um, I have dated guys as mm. well. So it's yeah. not unforeign to me, but mm. it, it, it definitely, like, when I did start doing that, it was also a little bit out of my comfort zone, like, yeah. to be like, I'll throw myself in the field and, you know, really go for it. Because um, yeah. it is a daunting... It, it is daunting. Yeah. So I kind of, I've known that I was by for... A long time I think probably since high school um, but the closest to those kind of experiences I got was like being at a party and the guys gathered around being like kiss 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 and I would think the girl was cute and want to kiss her anyway yeah. um, but it was kind of socially acceptable at the time because it was like oh it's a party thing and it's yeah. two girls hooking up um, <laughs> which is so ridiculous um, anyway and uh, and yeah, I, so I, I kind of knew since then, um, but didn't have like my first actual girlfriend until probably like a year ago. I'd had experience, sexual experiences with women and romantic mm. experiences with women um, prior to that, um, multiple, but never an actual girlfriend. Um, mm. And so about a year ago, I yeah, I got my first girlfriend and it was a really like I... I felt like like a baby gazelle learning to walk. I was like, how does this work? I don't know. Yeah. And being in public with her, having people react so differently to seeing us together. and um, But I was really lucky that she is super wonderful and loving and caring and kind of knew that this was my experience and guided yeah. me through that. But, yeah, it's a weird thing when you're – sort of like finding your feet with yeah. and you don't know. I think yeah. it's also interesting that you point that out because I think less so with – this is society as well and I think it happens more so with women. Like gay guys or guys in relationships with guys, whether you're, not, you're bisexual or anything, yeah. is considered a little bit stranger than seeing two women together because then that mm. sexual fantasization yeah. of it as well and the glamorization of just, yeah, girls. <laughs> and, yeah, it's – it's interesting because people don't know how to react to the two sides of those like situations where mm. we, when I was in a relationship with a guy and I was out with them, mm. you'd get a lot of stares, but aggressive stares you get. That's oh, weird. Right. Yeah, from um, other men or uh, women? Or yeah, just, just people uncomfortable like, yeah, with the right. idea. Yeah. But I think when you do see women together, mm. especially in certain parts of the inner West, mm. they, you know, some people will go, Oh, or just <laughs> oh, you guys friends like good friends, yeah. yeah. And it's because it's more socially acceptable, mm. I think, even because kids do it. Mm. Like girls hold hand because it's encouraged in you know, yeah, in women than more so than it probably ever would be in men because guys totally. can't do mm. that. And I feel like that was kind of something that I, I it took me a while to get out of my system Absolutely. to be like, be who you want to be because, yeah. um, yeah, it's just the complete opposite of just being like. Oh, <laughs> um it's straightforward and but yeah i like also i think the thing was like when i came out 
everyone thought I'd be this you know exaggerated like mm. yeah I've got to be like <laughs> queer and proud and everything and I was just like I am fine to you know sit at home and uh, watch a movie yeah usual. like yeah. <laughs> there's there's these expectations mm. um was it the same for you where everyone thought you would be like a more you know you know of a certain kind of demographic or was it a little less um I think because I like I technically haven't come out really to I mean my my close friends know um yeah obviously when I got a girlfriend I was like oh by the way I'm bi so you're probably gonna see her and, <laughs> yes. stuff. and they were like oh cool whatever not phased super progressive yeah super open super loving um so they were like oh like big yeah. deal like we don't whatever as long as you're happy um so it's really only my close friends and my partner um, who I've kind of spoken to about it um, explicitly. So, <gasps> yeah. Um, I've only recently started going to sort of like gay events, which Ooh. is kind of like I feel like, again, like Bambi, like what do I do? Like how do I do this? Um, but it's been really fun. Um, and my partner – even though he is um, a heterosexual man, is really wonderful and loves going to these kinds of events with me and is happy to dance and he's super flamboyant in his own way. Um, and so it's been really fun to to do that and to kind of get more involved in community and yeah. pride and, yeah, see what all of that's about. Yeah, mm. like it's... It's a weird kind of growing up because, uh, yeah, like you, you, you grew up in the Blue Mountains and Blue Mountains is probably not the <laughs> most progressive place. Um, no. And it's, true. it's like, yeah, it's, it's just very interesting because um, it's the same when, like, whenever I go to the Central Coast or mm. I go out to the mountains, mm. I do have to present. And even with work, I do have to present a little bit less flamboyant right more reserved because there's a you are presenting a mask to yeah. people and yeah, um it's true and a facade mm. and yeah there's a there's this sense of um i think also just as much as it sounds stupid i think just people don't like what they don't know yes and that absolutely. is that is <laughs> yeah like people have like since the dawn of time, are yeah. scared of the unknown, right? Um, I find it really interesting that, you know, like when people like of certain generations or anything, they just, there is a generalization to demoralize people who are either, you know, if you're a certain demographic or anything, like women mm. or like, um, or like, you know, people who are gay or anything mm. like that. And just, this is in workplaces, yeah. but then they forget how many people around them are of these communities as well. So yeah, it's like exactly. this oblivious, yeah. um, you know, depending where you grew up and depending mm. your social circles totally. and everything. Um, but then, yeah, when it's staring you in the front of the face, it is also kind of like this, huh, I kind of forcibly have to swallow this pill. Yes. To make an effort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I just had a bit of a realisation while we've been chatting about, uh, I was just thinking a lot about what you said about women holding hands and how yeah. it's kind of more accepted younger girls and things like that. And I had a flashback to probably some trauma that I carry from high school. We had a thing, I went to a very Christian, very strict high school, and we had a thing called the six-inch rule. 
which meant that no one was allowed to go within six inches of anyone else. If you hugged someone, you could get given a detention. Um, And there was certainly no kissing. So it was very heterosexual, very anti-affectionate, very anti-expressive. And I think a lot of, I'm just realizing now, I think a lot of that repression is coming potentially uh, from that. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think the wonderful thing is like everything you just said is like, I'm just, I was watching how Lauren interacts with things and I'm like, oh, this just ticks so many boxes in my head. Um, But I mean, like, yeah, it's, I think religion, especially like, um, you know, anti-affection, if you haven't had affection, like Mm. I know both my brother and my dad weren't the biggest huggers growing up and my big support was my mom. Mm. So I obviously have a lot of female friends. Um, So stuff like, you know, I'm, you know, my mom was blase about everything. So the idea of, you know, boys being like, you periods and stuff, I was like, yeah, what of it? Like, <laughs> just tell me about it. How's it work? Like, yeah. you know, fill me in. And I think all of that stuff, um, I still get this at work where it's like two of my really good friends, they were talking um, about their cycle and I just literally came in and they were like, it's pretty gross. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, and just sat and listened. But it, yeah, it's one of those things that it's just things like that didn't phase me. But mm. I do think that... Having a dad now who's much more of a hugger and much more affectionate because mm. he dealt with a lot of what was going on in his childhood mm. has really helped my appreciation for where. Because my parents yeah. grew, grew me up on stuff like The Goodies and Faulty Towers right. and David Bowie. Right. And like David Bowie was one of my idols growing amazing. up. He was like amazing. Um, he you know, is the best. He, I'm so he sad. was the best. He was R. the R. best. R. And it's just Praise like be. so, so <laughs> sad that he's no longer with us. But, um, yeah, he was just an amazing person who kind of just lived his life, Mm, did his thing. Lived his truth. Um, And, yeah, there's so many people out there, like, um, that I just think are, you know, legends in what they do. Mm. Um, But, yeah, you don't – there's no book. There's no rule book um, in society of how we should be like. Mm. And I think that, you know, I have iffy opinions on religion Mm. um, from a very – I I should not sound aggressive when I say religion like that. <laughs> I love people I, I love people who believe in what they want to believe. <clears throat> I just don't think religion should be brought into a societal way mm. where it affects development of people's choices and how affectionate they can be mm. and their political choices, which yes. is thank you our premier who's an awful human being. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He is. Yeah. Um. I think it. I think you've really touched on something super important there. I think when, and you know, uh, religion is is fine in its own right, and people are entitled to believe yeah. what whatever they want to believe, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But when it becomes conflated with education yeah. and with politics, that's an issue. Um, mm. The two should never cross paths, in my opinion. No, it, mm. it's a dangerous, dangerous, like, little go-to. And I feel mm. like people forget mm. that that's where you can kind of walk a very fine line you with can. it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, religion is religion. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I just people bring it into this way where it really does affect development mm. 
And I definitely know that, you know, back in the 50s and 40s and stuff, it was more acceptable to, you know, beat your wife or beat your children or, Mm. you know, um, publicly shame people. Like it was just acceptable things. Mm. So getting people out of those habits who are already in their 50s and 60s, as much as they say they're progressive, there is an element of what they grew up still in them. And and I feel like, you know, religion, unfortunately, still has a lot of negative connotations towards people who are, you know, um, identified differently, who aren't, um, you know, heterosexual, you know, Mm. um, cisgendered specific people and intentionally also just not stay-at-home wives who don't want careers. Like, Mm. it's the fact that... Um, we live in a society where it's still kind of iffy about people having abortions and, mm, um, yeah. and you know, wasn't that long ago that women had the right to vote? Yeah. Like <laughs> just reminding people that that wasn't long ago and the fact that legalising gay marriage actually didn't really happen that long ago either. Yeah. I mean, when was the plebiscite? That was just a couple of years ago, yeah. right? It's yeah. Um, so it's bizarre. like... All these things that I tick off mm. in my head and I go, oh, okay, there's, we're kind of, we've got a long way to go still. We do. I feel we've come a long way. Yeah. But yeah, we do have a long way to like, go. But it's it's cool to, to be alive to see the beginning of the unravelings yeah. of all of this conditioning that's been so heavily entrenched in society for so long and i think it's a really exciting time to be at the beginning of yeah of that. oh 100 i think um also you know if anyone sort of like told us how to entirely live our lives or you know that we needed we would probably be in debt of owning houses mm. um yes. and probably have children by this stage totally. um yeah. like do you still get that pressure now as like yeah <laughs> all the time like when are you gonna get married when are you gonna have kids um and i think yeah it's it's such a it's such a difficult thing and i think for women as well um a lot of womanhood in society's eyes tends to get tied into motherhood. Yeah. And kind of leaves behind the women who choose not to have children, can't have children. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really complex issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that though because it's just like, right. Mm. We, yeah, it's, it is a very complex and... I think, you know, I definitely don't even fathom. Like I've, I've my entire life had my mom go, when are you going to meet someone nice? And when are you going to settle down? And when are you going to yeah. get married? Like yeah. it's all those questions. But I think like my brother's done all that. And uh, yes, Simon, you have to have kids before me because <laughs> mom and dad will go crazy if they don't have grandkids. Um, <laughs> he has no choice. Um, but yeah, like I feel like... Yeah, just just there's this pressure, this innate pressure that yeah. we need to, you know, keep going mm. and keep doing. But there That's is, true. like, as creatives, mm. we don't want to give up our job because kids are a lot, yeah. a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, and I think women, um, unfortunately, or um, uh, people who have a uterus, um, are unfortunately bound to. Uh, a biological clock that's ticking. Yeah. Um, so the reality is that while for um, 
other people uh, who want to have children, they can do that into their 50s. But for people with a uterus, um, yeah, it, 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 the, the chances of being able to uh, carry to full term and have children and to conceive, there's a time limit on it. And so yeah. it's, it's this really unfair thing um and then there's the societal pressure as well of you got to do it now you got to do it now when are yeah. you gonna do it and it's like oh god because are you are you an only child or you got siblings i'm an only child oh god so that puts <laughs> all of the pressure there's on some, you yeah my mum is just dying for grandchildren and i'm like well you should have had more children because <laughs> <laughs> that's your own fault <laughs> bye <laughs> um yeah that's why i'm very glad my mum had to Yes. So I get a little bit more freedom. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, I definitely, from my experience, had a wax and wane when it came to right. interesting kids. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm definitely more wanting kids now than okay. I used to. Yeah, right. But in terms of when I was younger, God, no. Yeah. The idea right. of so looking. So it was a hard no? Yeah, it was a hard oh, no wow. for a while. Okay. Um, and I think, like, I generally dated people who didn't want to have kids, like okay. uh, which I think was sort of like the thing. Yeah. But now I'm with a partner who very much wants to one day have a family. And, right. Um, I'm very, you know, I know she'd be great at raising kids yeah. and, um, you know, we both really enjoy it, yeah. even though it's stressful and everything. But yeah. we're also very determined and very career-driven. Like, yeah. we're very, like, this is what we want to do in life and this yes. is where such passionate people. Yeah. Um, and I think... We're probably going to have kids when she's mid thirties, and I'm probably uh, like getting close to forties. Right. It's not any time. <laughs> it's probably the nine, nine, You've ten years. Time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we even talked about adopting. Like, you know, there's yeah. all these options there because are so many options. Um, you know, because I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But I remember just I don't want to follow my mom's pressures mm. and my dad's pressure because like they're both in their sixties now. Yeah. But um. You know, and yay to them, like, yeah. you know, having kids. But I think it was more they wanted to have them young. Right. And now my brother is almost, he's mid-30s now and he yeah. is not even probably going to have kids for another probably two, three years. So your parents are like, hurry up. Yeah, so one of us, <laughs> like, he's probably going to be 39 by the right. time he has kids. Okay. Um, you know, And one of my colleagues is 40 and he's having his first kid. And mm. One of my good That's friends awesome. is 50 and he's had his first kid. Like, mm. you just don't have a point where it's like, oh, you have to have them now. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very in particular, but also... I don't have a uterus, so I don't have to actually do any of the heavy lifting for nine months. Um, so I kind of get off scot-free. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? It is the worst. Like, the moment you discover that you have a uterus and you're like, all right, yeah, shit. You've got to deal with this thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I think, yeah, that most people I know, um, are on some sort of form of contraception to like mm. um, help mostly with periods as well. Yeah. Um, which seems to be the go-to because a lot of yeah. um, a lot of that sucks apparently. It does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that your valid experience? It is my yes. That is my experience. Um, my ovaries, not my uterus. My ovaries have tried to kill me once. Oh wow! Yes. Yeah, so like that just was fun. What picked up a knife and ran it? They you did. <laughs> basically, I got uh, um, not to go too far into medical gory medical details, but I had a, a cyst, and it grew, and it kind of had its own 
thing going on. It had its own like blood supply and then when it burst, it kind of bled into my oh no stomach and I had to go to emergency and it was a whole thing. And I so they, yeah, they tried to kill me and I'm not going to let them forget. <laughs> it's like, yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, oh my God. That's, I know. That's brutal. How Hectic. old were you at the time? I think I was like 21. God. I know. Um. So that's not something you want to have when you're 21. It's not something you ever want to have. No, 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 it's not a life experience yeah. you ever want. Um, I've loved everything we've talked about. We've, we've ticked, covered it all. We've covered Almost it all. Almost everything. What was the other thing we, we, we didn't cover? <sighs> did you, did we forget something? <laughs> I'm looking at you. Um, I mean, how? Uh, no, no. And if we go into further topics, we're just going to. Keep on chatting away. We are the worst. Well, we're 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 about to um, go and relax and and <laughs> have a drink. So <laughs> we we can also talk mostly about ra- random stuff. <laughs> but I I do love the fact that you were just like and and I was like we could be here for another half hour, <laughs> forty minutes. That's true. This could be the special edition of three hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but no, I think. Yeah, I've loved every second of this. It's Me been an too. absolute, absolute pleasure. It's been so much fun. Thank uh, you so much. It's been, and uh, I just, you know, where can people stalk you and find you on the internet? They can <laughs> be hanging out at Lincoln's Rock. <laughs> yeah, just go and find her there. You know, the IMDb Lincoln's Rock exact location. She'll be there. Um, I only have Instagram. Uh, and that's just my name, uh, <laughs> nice and simple, just Lauren Grimson. Grimson. That is Grimson. <laughs> that's it. That's uh, me. I, I, I get very overwhelmed by a lot of input, um, and so people are like, do you have TikTok? Do you have Twitter? And I'm like, I am barely, I am barely managing with Instagram. Like I, yeah. yeah. You are. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that is a, yeah. a full-time gig for me yeah and uh, not literally but like that's, no but you're, I mean, in terms I just, of brain space uh, you are you're an eclectic person and it's just like it's like this is why she's not on all the socials <laughs> um but no it's been an absolute pleasure i really you. enjoyed this Thank um you. and if you want to check out more episodes of the things we do podcast you can check them out on apple and spotify i'll be speaking with another guest next week and i'll speak to you all later goodbye Bye.